This is the Behind the Batch podcast with me, Daniel Freeman. And me, James Roberts. Each episode we'll be chatting Oxford United with the names of yesteryear. Whether it be a former player, manager or chairman, our aim will be to listen to their story. Behind the Badge is an unofficial podcast that digs deep into the highs and lows of Oxford United's history. We hope you enjoy it. It's great to uh, have Scott Davis, the former Oxford United uh, midfielder, on the latest edition of Behind the Badge. Scott, thank you for for coming on uh, and joining us on this podcast. No, thank you for having me. I was going to say, it's uh, I've done a lot of podcasts with uh, some of my ex-clubs and whatnot, so this is the first one of an Oxford United type, I believe. So, no, it's uh, my pleasure. Good stuff. I mean, what we always like to do is just find out a bit about how it all started for you as a as a footballer. Yeah, for me, it was a young age. I think sort of being with a ball in the garden, that cliche um, of just wanting to live every lad's dream and become a footballer. I think from a young age, watching my dad play uh, non-league pretty much for Ellsbury United, uh, Chesham, teams like that, local to Oxford. Um, I got the bug for it there and then. And I would have been happy sort of walking in my dad's footsteps and playing at sort of non-league level. I didn't realise there was many levels above that, if I was honest. I just saw my dad in this, uh, in his sort of, uh, every Saturday afternoon I'd see him on the pitch and think, yeah, that, that would do me fine. Uh, probably got to the age of eight or nine, um, and then I found myself getting interest from professional clubs, which I look back now and think it's way too young. Uh, there was a, quite a lot of interest, but I ended up going to sign for Watford at around eight, uh, went to Wickham Wanderers at 10, and then I found myself going to Reading at 14. So it all happened pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, from a young age, I just enjoyed playing football and it was something that I wanted to do. Aylesbury being relatively local, like you said, was Oxford United ever on the radar as a, as a kid? No, do you know what? They weren't. They never scouted me as such. I remember keeping the little postcards that you used to get, the little business cards um, from different scouts when they used to hand over their details and say, listen, give us a call. Um, And I was very, very lucky that I had some fantastic clubs uh, that came and approached me. But Oxford United's system must have been bad when it came to scouting because I was doing okay, but I never got one. Or maybe I wasn't their type of player until I was, what, 25 when I signed for them. So it took a few years. I mean, you were in Reading's youth system basically when uh, the club was on the up. I think, what would you have been, 17, 18 when they had their championship winning season? Yeah, so it was 2006, 2007, so I'd have been 18, 19. Um, so I trained with the first team quite a lot that season in and around some like fantastic players. Found it really, really difficult uh, to jump up from youth team football, as you can imagine, to a team that goes and gets the most points ever recorded in a championship league. Um, yeah, it was just phenomenal. Like The players never seen anything like it. It just clicked, it gelled. Um, they weren't the most amazing football inside in the world, but they just knew their jobs. They were all completely professional. Um, and they used to just roll teams over. And I always say that in football, winning becomes a habit and losing becomes a habit. Um, and they just had that winning habit that season where they were just unstoppable. But yeah, it was it was good to look back on those sort of memories and experiences. But just all seems like a distant memory now. It seems so long ago. Um, people ask me questions all the time about my career and, yeah, it feels like a different life ago. My first memory of you, Scott, was, uh, I don't know if it was definitely your first loan spell away from Reading, but certainly while you're at Aldershot because you played against Oxford in the team that was dominant in the, in their conference season. You may have even played against us three times that year because I think I also remember it's a Tanta Shield game as well. Uh, do you remember playing Oxford in in that season? 
Yeah, I do. I remember winning 3-2 away at the Kassam, which was a crazy game. Um, and I remember it sort of being the biggest game of our season. I think in terms of going to Oxford United, for me, it was the best ground in the league. Um, the fans, there was a massive, I don't know why, I don't know if it, I don't think there was a rivalry as such, but I think both sets of fans were very, um, I'd say chaotic at the time, is probably the word. Um, I remember the, the team bus outside the ground got sort of barricaded in and the fans had to leave quite late after the game. There was a little bit of tension. I think we played at home as well. I don't know if it was 1-0. I remember a photo that I've got on my um, Facebook I can't remember who's in the picture now. I think it might have been Michael Corcoran, who's now a friend of mine. Um, and you look back at those memories and they're brilliant. And the Santa Shield game, I don't actually remember. I used to get rested for the Santa Shield, so I never really played in it too much. Because um, I was being young, they were sort of blooding me into the game. And the manager used to say to me, listen, you don't need to be playing every Saturday, Tuesday. Um, we're going to give you minutes here and there. And I used to get dropped from the team and get annoyed. But you know what it's like being a young lad in your first full season. They don't want to sort of, go hell for leather when it comes to um, giving you game time. It's all about sort of dipping you in and out and, and getting you ready for the, the seasons ahead, I guess. Nowadays, in the conference, you've got ridiculous sized teams, crowds of sort of eight, nine, ten thousand at Notts County and Wrexham and all sorts going on. Back then, Oxford were one of the, the initial sort of big clubs to come into the conference and Aldershot were, were a big club within their own right as well. And it just so happened, I think, that because they were two of the bigger clubs and Aldershot had some decent away support, it just turned into, a, as you say, a little bit of a rumble. Yeah, I, I just remember turning up at Oxford United thinking, this is where I want to be playing in terms of these sorts of stadiums. It was the first real big club that I played at with the, with the fan base. So I played in some fantastic grounds like reserving football with 45 people in certain stand. But I remember walking out at, at Luton and Oxford, I think, was it Luton that year? or No, Luton were in League Two. But that was the, the next time that I actually got the feel for proper football and what it meant to fans and what it meant to get three points. Um, and that's when I felt like I started to live my dream walking out of places like that. I know there were some other places like Droylston were in the league that year. I certainly didn't become a footballer to go and play at places like that. But when you're walking out of the Kassam, it was just like incredible experience at a young age. What was it like then? Because obviously... You did well at Aldershot, helped them uh, win promotion, I, I believe. Um, there were a lot of loan spells when you were quite young and, and sort of, I imagine it was sort of a bit of a nomadic lifestyle. And, and for a player quite young, that must be quite difficult, sort of almost not knowing where you're going to be in the next six months. Yeah, I went on, I believe, six loans in sort of three years. I think Aldershot for two years. Um, Wick and Wanderers, I went there twice for three months at a time. I went to Bristol Rovers for a, a month and I went to Yeovil for a month. So luckily for me is that um, being at Aldershot and then being at Wickham, I didn't have to leave my house. I could stay at home and I could live with mum and dad still because I was still young. Going to Yeovil and Bristol Rovers was a completely different ball game. Uh, living in a hotel for a month, living off hotel food. It was awful. I'm not going to lie. I absolutely hated living in hotels. Um, Bristol Rovers, you probably won't like the sound of this, was a fantastic club. Absolutely loved walking out there. You might get 10,000 people there playing in League One. Um, great experience, but I just wasn't right with what was going on in my life at the time, how I was living my life. Um, and I got my comeuppance, to be honest, when I was at places like that. I should have really gone there and they should have extended my loan. I guess at the time I should have been doing well, but I certainly wasn't. If you ever asked any Bristol Rovers fans, what was Scott Davis like when he played for you? They'd probably say, who's that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's how much of an impact that I had at the time. Um, 
but it was difficult from sort of going home after training every single day and then being catered for by your parents mum would put dinner on the table she'd do your washing make sure you got breakfast when you leave for training in the morning um just fantastic parents so then going to a hotel having to sort of fend for yourself doing things I've never done before is so basic but you get mollycoddled as a footballer whether it's at home whether it's at the training ground um you don't really have to do too much for yourself and I think that was a learning curve and after a while I thought you know what just get me home to my parents um and let me find a club local to there where I can I can live and just commute every day I think actually during your uh, sort of breakthrough season at Aldershot you did you get three red cards as well as sort of starring uh sort of in a, in a positive way as well um was that was that the sort of player you were at that time uh, do you know what I didn't make tackles that's the worst thing is I think I was so bad at tackling that when I did try and make them I, I ended up getting red cards um but it's one of those ones that uh, there was a lot going on on and off the pitch and I was just a bit of a hothead I used to take my aggression with or my anger my problems that were going on off the pitch onto the pitch on a Saturday and I couldn't sort of remain calm I couldn't be in control um and then I remember the first red card that I got as a lad called Courtney Pitt who sort of dived in the corner and the ref gave a throw into them. And we were 2-1 down at Cambridge in the FA Cup with about a minute to go. And I picked the ball up thinking it was my throw. He's rolling around on the floor and I just threw the ball straight at his head when he was on the floor. And that was my first red card and that was a learning curve. Um, second one was a red card at Droylston, hence why I didn't like going to Droylston. And then the third one was a, a red card at Boxing Day at Grays Away. And I just remember my dad saying to me after, like, when are you going to learn? Um, but yeah, I did learn after that. I think I've only had one or two more since in the next sort of, yeah, 15 years. So it's not too bad. Really, we, we go sort of chronologically through the seasons and sort of then reflect afterwards. But to be honest, Scott, by the sounds of it, the way that you were sort of moving about clubs, having short spells here and there, as you said, discovered having all the spare time that you maybe didn't wouldn't have ordinarily that maybe the the wider part of 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 your sort of life was was sort of coming out in in these stages would you say oh absolutely I was going to say um obviously I've, I've spoken about it for seven years now sort of since I've come out of rehab for gambling and it was something that I never planned on doing it was something that I sort of found myself in the midst of doing when I was meeting new groups of teammates I was earning a little bit more cash had a lot more time on my hands when you're sat in a hotel room in the middle of Yeovil, let me tell you, there's nothing to do there. <laughs> um, you sit there and you think, well, what can I do to pass the time of day? And it was easy because there was two or three other lads that were going to the bookmakers. Um, I was earning a couple of grand a week at this point, at maybe 20 years old. And all of a sudden you start sort of delving into the world of gambling. Um, I got a bug for it. I enjoyed doing it. And then it obviously had its detrimental impact on me over the next sort of 10 years. Um, and I found myself being very, very wasteful. Um, living a sort of lie off the pitch, um, hated who I became, didn't then have the time for my parents, my family, wasn't applying myself to football correctly. And then long story short, before you know it, is that you're slipping down the leagues um, because your professionalism is completely gone. Um, and little did I know that I'd be out of the game at 26, 27. Um, I never planned for that. And then all of a sudden you have to sort of, sort of reflect on what's happened and, and think, do you know what, what's my plan B? And at the time, I didn't have a plan B, but fortunately for me, I had a good education. Um, So I went to university for a couple of years, got a part-time job and carried on playing, but in semi-professional football. So I found that work-life balance eventually, but it did take me a good couple of years when I left the game at 26, 27 years old. Whether you're a professional footballer or not, 
the years sort of late teens early 20s are, are a learning curve you know whatever walk of life you're in um i imagine that everything going on off the pitch you know like you said it affects your football it affects probably you know your achievement where you're going but i imagine personal relationships as well do you kind of look back and think oh i could have done more off the pitch at these clubs as well as on it yeah it's, it's a strange one so a lot of people will say to me all the time oh you've had a fantastic career and I'm not saying this for any reaction from anyone, and I, and I genuinely mean it hand on heart. My career has been bang average. I think from where I was to how I was doing at the age of 21, um, was doing quite well at the time. Um, there's a lot of regret in there. There's a lot of times where I sit there and think, if only, if I'd applied myself. And the weirdest thing is in football, I never got told once and once that I wasn't good enough. It was all uh, always about my application, my attitude, my desire. Um but then to say that to two people that follow Oxford United, you're probably thinking, hang on a minute, you're useless when you're there. Because I didn't have any impact at Oxford. And I say this in so many podcasts that I've been on. Um, but I suppose if someone had seen me in my sort of early 20s when I was 20, 21, 22, you'd probably think, oh, yeah, do you know what? We'll have him at Oxford United all day long. Um, but when I actually arrived, I wasn't in the best mindset. I wasn't living the best life. Um, that was probably where my troubles were at its worst in terms of my finance, uh, my mental health. But it's like you say, I... I didn't know what else to do other than play football. So if someone was to offer me a contract, there was no way that I wasn't going to take it. Um, but with that being my last professional club, I think it speaks volumes. I had opportunities to go back into the professional game a year after I left Oxford. And I just thought, you know what, this isn't for me. Um, I've, I've had enough of being involved in football. Um, I didn't want to wake up every morning and go training. I found a sort of half a balance at that point, I'll call it, um, where I was playing semi-professionally. And I was doing my degree. So, yeah, I was trying to find some happiness in that time. And I found it through doing that. So going back into the pro game just at the time wasn't the right thing to do. You've hit the nail on the head there, Scott, because I saw you playing a couple of times. I was working for, um, it was Jack FM used to do the Oxford United commentaries. And that was the first season that they did it in that uh, 07, 08 season. So I saw you against Oxford both times in the league. And exactly what I thought and I saw you also I was lucky enough I saw you play for Wickham a couple of times while reporting for Sky so I knew something about you and I knew that there was a player there and I was happy really happy when I'd seen you sign for us in the 2012 sort of time I think it was yeah but you weren't the player I was expecting you weren't weren't as good as I was expecting genuinely and I don't know I'm glad now I know why uh and it, it would seem that there was just so much else going off off the pitch that the, the football wasn't the wasn't the most important thing unfortunately no do you know what like, I don't take things to heart and I'm the first one to say it. I'm really honest with myself I'm honest with everyone else now when I joined Oxford it was almost like I'm joining it because it's a local club I can go back home I can stay at home the money I, I was actually on was awful so I had to change my life from leaving Crawley to going to Oxford United um I was on left less than half was what I was on so Straight away, it had a massive impact on me financially. So I'm trying to obviously make up the money that I'm losing out on. And then when I got there, I just didn't, I just didn't have any enthusiasm to play football any longer. I just went for a time where I found it really, really difficult. I couldn't get my form. Um, and, it, and it was tough. It really was tough. But it's like you say, I, I couldn't sit here today and say I was hardly, uh, harshly treated. I was hard done by because... I think when I joined the football club, I played the last 10 games of the season when I joined. Um, and I'd done okay then, but it was the following season where I just thought to myself, do you know what, this is coming to an end. And I remember 
God rest his soul, Mickey Lewis pulling me at training one day and we're walking out to the training pitch and he just said to me, he said, if you're not careful, he said, you're going to end up in non-league football before you know it. And I was going to say, I didn't believe it at the time because I thought to myself, like, what do you know? Like, this isn't going to happen. I thought to myself, even though I wasn't playing well, someone will always sign me. And lo and behold, within sort of six, seven, eight months later, I was out of the game and no one would touch me with the proverbial barge pole. So, yeah, I remember him saying it to me, like clear as day. But yeah, I got what I deserved, I guess, because people were very, very professional at the football club. I was. I remember Danny Rose, for example. I used to look at Danny Rose and I've just been texting him this morning. So that's why he's come to mind. I used to look at him and think he's a really, really busy player. What I mean by that is he's ultra professional. And I look back now and think, hang on a minute, he was doing it the right way and I was doing it the wrong way. But at the time, I couldn't see that. Mine was just go to football, play football, get paid and go home. Um, that was my life where he was trying to achieve something. And then he went on to have a better career after Oxford United playing for um, achieving, I think he got four, what three or four promotions in a row. Um, and that just reaps the rewards of what he deserves. And that's a perfect example of how you should be as a young player. Before we really delve into your United career, Scott, um, you're at Crawley, obviously, as I think that was your first sort of permanent move after leaving Reading. Um, you played under Steve Evans, didn't you? What, what was he like to play under? Oh, do you know what? It's only when you sit back, you can reflect. You're out the other side, but you think, do you know what? I really actually, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, he is the most different manager you'll ever come across in your life. But you're so scared of letting him down that he instills fear in you where you think, do you know what? I will run through that brick wall for you and I'll run through the next one and the one after that. And you look at the results he's getting at the moment at Stevenage. It's not a coincidence. There's something about him that's really, really likeable. Um, the one thing I will say is as long as he's not sort of coming for you at the time and he's picking on you or having a go at you, then it's brilliant. Like it's just entertainment. But the problem is, is that when it, you're the one that's on the wrong end of him, it's hard to take. Um, and I was on the wrong end of him a couple of times, which had a massive impact on my time at Crawley. Um, but it was my my own doing. Um, I remember one day where he was screaming and shouting at me after a game in Portugal uh, on a preseason tour. In my first week of being at the football club, I'd sort of popped into the hole to try and get the ball off the keeper, who was Scott Shearer at the time. And uh, I politely got told by the manager, no, we don't play like that. So after the game, he came over and he started screaming and shouting and there was spit going in my eye. And I was sat on the floor at the time and I got up and I swore at him and I walked off and I thought, oh, no, what have I done? So when I went down to dinner that evening, uh, the assistant manager came over and said, Scott, go back to your room. He said, you're not eating, training or socialising with us. So the next thing I get a knock on my door and uh, I was just smiling, laughing about it. Get a knock on my door and he said, listen, book yourself a flight home. You're not training with us tomorrow. Um, ring your agent, tell him your contract's up. So I was thinking, oh, no, what am I going to do? So I rang my agent. I said, right, I've got to fly home. I said, I've just um, told the manager to. And uh, I said, he's told me I'm never playing for the football club ever again. So he said to me, right, go to training tomorrow morning. He said, make sure you show right attitude. So I get up to the training pitch, which is about a 15-minute walk. When I get there, I get this gate that's just slammed in my face. And I thought, right, OK, I'm clearly not training today. So for the next six days, I had to sit in my um, apartment and I'll tell you who my roommate was, was Danny Bullman, another Oxford United player. So I went on his laptop for the next six days and I managed to get into a savings account that I had saved up for a deposit for a first house. And I had about 32 grand saved up, which my mum was looking after. So that week I'm sat there for six days thinking, well, what can I do? So I started to gamble and I lost 10 grand of it that week. And then I ended up 
losing the rest of that money in the next 15 days when I got back to England. So then my whole deposit completely gone. But that was off the back of an argument with him. Um, and I don't ever know to this day, would I have lost that money if I was able to train every single day or eat with the boys, socialise with the boys? But it's like you say, things like that happen in football that no one ever knows about. And you think to yourself, I've then got to deal with the repercussions of what's happened. I've got to deal with the the heartache, I guess, of losing my deposit for my house. Um, but that all came off the back of an argument with him, but it was my fault. And you look at things like that and it's just you just smile now because you think, Do you know what, it's it's all part of learning, growing up and, and being in football, I guess. Well, I mean, it, like you say, it's the stuff that the fans and, and the media, to be honest, don't really see, even though we get a bit more of an insight. Um I wanted to ask that when you joined Oxford, I think Chris Wilder had said quite publicly that he'd been a fan of yours and he'd, he'd watched you play. Did he know about the extent of what was going on off the pitch? No, I don't think he would have signed me otherwise. Um, he actually said to me that the year that we went up with Crawley, uh, so it in 2012, we went up um, that summer. Um, he said that he contacted the football club at Crawley and said, is Scott Davis available? Um, we'd like to sign him. And I think that he said he put in an offer and Crawley said, no, he's not for he's not for sale. But this is another thing that happened. So I went away that summer and I sat in a bucket chair in Betfred for six to eight weeks. I did not move off the back of the promotion. I reported back to training and we had a new manager called Sean O'Driscoll. Um, and I remember walking into the uh, training ground and he just basically said to me, he said, like, come into my office. So I went to the office with a sports scientist. I stood on the scales and I put on two stone and two pound that summer. So as you can imagine, it's just unacceptable. It's, it's not right. And even though he'd asked if I was for sale during the summer, they said no. When I got back to the football club, because I put on all of this weight, um, I never played another match for the football club anyway. So my punishment was that you're never playing for us. So we got to December that year and the chairman brought me into the office and he just said, right, we need you off the wage bill. Um, you haven't played for six months because you came back in the state that you came in. Um and I just said to him, I'm not leaving because I was on a couple of grand a week at the time, which was good money in that level. Um, and he just made me an offer that I couldn't refuse. So I signed out. I left. Um, I was meant to go and sign for Aldershot. Then Portsmouth came in. I got messed around a little bit. And then Chris rang me one day and just said, listen, I've really liked you. I've tried to sign you in the summer for the last two years. Um, as I did know, because I chose to go to Crawley over Oxford United at the time when I first signed. He said, now I've got you on board. He said, let's let's sort of get it rocking and rolling and, and let's get going. I never really got going. I was like a broken down car. So you joined Oxford in the March, um, or the, certainly the end of, sort of February time in 2013. And it's been a bit of a funny season, yet we've still got outside aspirations of maybe getting in the playoffs if we go on some hefty run. And it looks like your first few weeks or so, just having a look at soccer base and seeing the games that you're involved in. We had a 4-0 home defeat to Rotherham, who at the time I think were managed by your old mate Steve Evans. And then the next game is one that I'll always remember. It was away at Torquay. And the, work, the reason I remember it, I was on a stag do that weekend uh, with my mate Simon Watts. And um, he was dressed as, um, uh, what's his name from The Simpsons? The uh, the guy who had the big nose. Um and, I don't watch uh, it. Bold but... head. <laughs> right. Bit like me, basically, he looked. Anyway, and uh, and we were there celebrating in the away and like mad, and that was away at Torquay, and that was that was it was a quite a memorable occasion. And it it wasn't a bad end to the season, but we just missed out in the end, didn't we? Yeah, I think there was a game at home, was it against like Morecambe or someone where we ruined it? And I think we lost one nil, and I think we needed to win that game to sort of stay in. I don't know why Morecambe's coming up in my head, but I'm sure it was. Um and I remember sort of the lads sort of 
keep like trying to keep on pushing and and be successful and achieve something but I remember sort of joining the club at the time and we had a really good nucleus like the squad there at the time was really good um one of the best players I've still ever played with in, in football, Jake Wright. I remember people like him just thinking, like, what a player, like, he shouldn't be at this level. I thought he was absolutely brilliant when I joined. Um, but that's half the reason why I definitely joined the club. I obviously dropped down a league because uh, Cordy were in League One at the time and thought, well, hang on, I could be back in League One in six months' time at an even bigger and better club, um, which is more local to home. So it sounded like the perfect fit for me. Um, but it just didn't really click, didn't really happen. And then what happened that summer actually was quite interesting, um, which I'll tell you. I think the back end of that season, I'd actually done okay in those 10 games. Um, I sat down with Ian Lennigan. Is that the chairman's name at the time? Sat down with him and he said, right, Scott, he said, like, I've been really impressed with you over the last 10 games. Um, we're going to look to offer you a three-year deal. So I remember thinking, right, perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. Um, I've got somewhere that I can call home for the next three years. So I went away that summer. And I got a phone call from, uh, it was actually Mickey Lewis again. And he said, listen, Scott, he said, um, everything's changed. He said, I've spoken to the chairman. We're going to offer you six months. And I said, well, how's this happened from going from the three-year deal to a six-month deal? And he just said, things have changed. He said, I can't really go into too much detail. And I just said, well, if it's six months, I said, I'm not signing it. I said, I'm not interested. Because six months in football is almost like a, a bit of a stab. Um, it's just a... It's a bit of a, a dagger to the heart, I guess, where I've never even heard of six months deals. You either sign a year, you might sign two years, or if you sign an 18-month deal, if you're halfway through the season. So he then rang me back um, a couple of days later and said, listen, we can extend it to a year. And I just thought, you know, I want to be at the football club. Um, so I ended up signing a year, but that was a really sort of difficult time where I thought, oh, I'm getting a three-year deal. Then all of a sudden I'm getting six months and then I'm getting a year. Um, so I got messed around a bit that summer, but it is what it is. I was going to say that's football. I have no regrets. Um, I still had a year to prove myself and do well, which I didn't. So it's part and parcel of the game, I guess. I'm wrong here, but I think you announced your contract on uh, on Twitter before the club. Was that partly because you thought you were maybe going to get? A, you were a bit annoyed that you were going to thought you were going to get a better deal. I don't really know, to be honest. Like, I, I, do you know? What? Now you said that, I do half remember it because I remember people commenting. Say so like, who does he think he is announcing it before the fans and before the football club? And for anyone that knows me, like, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. Like, I'm not. Um, sometimes I probably don't think before I speak or think before I act. Um, but deep down, there was no sort of no menace to it. Do you know what I mean? I didn't mean anything by it. Um, but now you've said it, yeah, it sort of it sort of hit home a little bit. I do remember it. I don't know whether. I don't know if Chris Williams maybe told me to tweet it or not. I don't really know. But, yeah, I'll have to ask him about that one because I'm sure he probably remembers. Getting Chris Williams's name on this podcast, he'll be absolutely delighted with. So we'll uh, make sure that we uh, include him on the tags afterwards. Um, that second, that, that that actual sort of full season at, at United then, Scott, it it started with, let's say, full of promise. Let's say it started with full of promise. I don't think anyone really expected us to start the way that we did. And um, and that that sort of helped you, didn't it? Because I think you you know, in the likes of Portsmouth, who are in the league, then a bit of a an unknown quantity, despite the size and the potential of the club. No one quite expected us to have that that start that we did. No, do you know? Do you know what the craziest thing is? And you won't even believe me here. Um, but I was playing football, but I was just absolutely everywhere else. And I remember the first game of the season, obviously Portsmouth away, and I was gutted that I wasn't starting. Um, I think I came on for maybe. 10-15 minutes or something at the end and it was a great game to come on in I think was it 4-1 the win 
Um, I remember the lads buzzing. I remember Kits walking off the pitch and he was sort of like doing this sort of like money gesture to the chairman of Portsmouth and it was all kicking off. And I was thinking, this is what football's all about, obviously being in these days. And I remember enjoying it. Christmas time, were we top of the league? I was going to say, I, I feel like I remember someone saying to me not too long ago, um, an Oxford United fan, are we were top of the league at Christmas? And I think sometimes you just take it for granted. Um, when you're top of the league at Christmas, you're probably just playing football, seeing how you're getting on, seeing where you are in the league. But I'd never felt like we really kicked on. I feel like, if anything, we had a good start and then obviously drifted away. Whereas, if anything, you want it to be the other way around, where you finish strong. Um, but did we end up finishing about eighth or ninth that season? I'm not too sure. Missing out on the playoffs on, I don't know if it was the final day or a few games to go. Um but I think we had everything there to actually be successful at the time. I think the squad was very, very good looking back. There's a lot of experience in the squad as well um, when you look at it. But it was definitely a culture of a lot of lads. And, and when I say that, there was a lot of big characters. There was a lot of a lot of lads that were pretty unprofessional, I would say, um, who liked to be there and have a laugh, loved a pint. Um, it was very, very old school compared to changing rooms that I'd been in in the previous few years. But I absolutely loved my time with, with some of those players. But you look back now and think we're probably 10, 15, 20% short of that professionalism that would have maybe got us over the line. That's interesting you say that as well, because like you say, a lot of players that have played at high level, um, big characters on the coach and staff as well. How, how did you feel you fit, fitted in then? Did you sort of, was it quite harmonious or were there sort of a few sort of flashpoints there? Yeah, do you know, I, I could fit in anywhere in football because I was loud, I was boisterous. I wanted to be involved in the banner and the bravado and, and everything. But I just looked back and we had some absolute lunatics. Um, there was a lot, even on nights out compared to other football clubs. When I was on nights out with maybe like a Wickham Wanderers, it was very tame. It was pretty quiet, um, pretty sensible. But going out with some of the, the northern lads, for example, at Oxford United at the time that were living away from home, they were young, they were earning good money. It was absolute carnage. And I think to be absolutely, absolute carnage for every weekend because um, you're living away from home and then go onto the football pitch on a Saturday afternoon and be professional and be fit, hardworking, dedicated. It was really, really tough. And I just think if we'd have had a few sort of fine tweaks within that time, I think that we could have definitely had a successful team. Um, but you look at the players now that were there, a lot of them aren't even playing football anymore and they're three or four years younger than me. So that just pretty much shows maybe the kind of character personality that we had at the time. Um, I'm still playing football now because I love it. That's the most important thing to me. And it gives me gives me a lot of positives for my mental health, my well-being, my social life, finance, everything. Um, but did we really have that core group that wanted to play football and achieve and do enough to get us across that line? Probably not. It's funny because that season, a lot of the narrative is around Chris Wilder leaving in uh, in January being sort of where the wheels kind of start to fall off are you saying then that maybe him leaving wasn't you know the big change that it would have been the the group itself might have uh sort of self-combusted I guess anyway yeah absolutely I think listen Chris is a fantastic manager brilliant guy like one of my favorites that I've met in football I saw him not long ago actually about maybe a couple of years ago I hadn't seen him for a long long time I had a great chat great catch up and reminiscing and whatnot I think the problem then is that once he left it was almost like the head teacher leaving and it was almost like the naughty boys could become naughtier, if that makes sense. Um, and that's pretty much what it was. He kept a lot of them in, in line. Um, I'm not saying that from a footballing side of things that 
um, what him leaving cost us going up, but the, maybe the professionalism side where he could speak to some of the lads who are a little bit sort of reckless, a little bit um, offline at times where he could like sort of knock them back into shape because he was that kind of character and that kind of person. And he had the respect from everyone. Um, I'm not saying that, was it Gary Waddle that came in next? I'm not saying that he didn't have that, but he didn't have time to maybe realise who were the ones that he needed to keep in control um, and keep on top of. Um, two very different types of managers. I've had Gary at uh, four different spells, all shot Wickham and then Oxford United, five different spells, in fact. Um, both very, very different. Um, but it's like you say, I think it would have been very difficult for anyone to come in and manage some of those lads at the time. Before um, Chris Wilder left, we had a good FA Cup tie against uh, Charlton, who I think were a championship club at the time, certainly higher in the uh, pyramid than than we were. And you scored at the Valley. Would you say that was probably the highlight of your time at the club? Uh, Yeah, I was going to say, I completely forgot about that, to be honest. I remember getting in 1v1. I don't know what I was doing that high up the pitch. I think my pace must have got me in behind. Um, And then I came face-to-face with one of the goalie, goalie at Charlton who was actually an ex-teammate of mine from Reading. I remember slotting it. I remember the biggest bugbear, though. I think we were winning that night and not holding out for the win because that would have been a fantastic win to go there. And you never know, it could have kick-started us again. But then I think we got absolutely hammered. Was it 3-0 at home? Um, they were a really good side at the time. But yeah, when you think that one goal is my highlight, I think that pretty much just shows um, sort of where I was at at the time. Um, because I look back at other clubs and I could pick out individual performances where I might have dragged the team to a win or like getting a few assists in a game or a moment of quality that wins or something. But a 1v1 against Charlton, slotting the ball past the keeper, yeah, it definitely probably would be my highlight. Um, So that just shows that not too much went on, I guess, during my time at Oxford. By the sounds of it, you weren't expecting to be offered a new contract at the end of the season. I'll tell you what happened yet again then. I've got another story for you. So... I went into the office with, I uh, know we were playing Plymouth away towards the end of the season. I don't know if it was the last game. And I remember walking along by the beach on the Saturday morning and Gary Waddock pulled me and he said, listen, Scotty, I've changed my mind. He said, you're not going to start. So I was like, okay, no problem. Um, he said, you don't need to worry. He said, I know all about you as a player. And I'd believed in him. I thought, you know what? I've known him for a long time. He signed me four times before or whatever. So I didn't play that match. Um, and then at the end of the season, we had meetings. I don't know if it was like the week after. All the lads were sat across at the leisure centre having a TGIs or whatever it is across the road. And then one by one, we were going across to the stadium to have our meetings. So I remember going across and I walked into the office and um, I made a joke to the manager because I was quite comfortable in his in his, um, in his his uh, company and whatnot. And he sat there and he said, Scott, he said, this is the hardest conversation I've ever had to have with a player. So I started laughing. I thought, yeah, go on and pull the other one. Like this isn't this isn't going to be the case. And he went, no, honestly, he said, I've got um, I've got Wingy, I've got Josh Ruffles. He said that need uh, that have already got contracts for next season. He said I need to get rid of a midfielder. He said and I need to bring in a striker. So I just said, well, what does that mean for me? And he said, well, he said I need to free up your wages. He said I can't do anything. He said I'd love to keep you, but he said I can't. And I just remember walking out of the Sam and I walked it back to the leisure centre where the boys were sat. And I just said to him, I said, I've been let go. So it wasn't that I expected to get let go because I had a man that absolutely loved me as a footballer and as a person. And I thought that saved me. But then when he let me go, it hit me not for six. It hit me for 12. That was the difference. Um, And then that evening we had an end of season trip booked to Magaluf. So I remember getting on the the plane with the lads, got to Magaluf, 
remember losing my wallet when I got there, which had all my money in, which is like 500 pounds worth of euros. So I rang my mum as soon as I got to Magaluf. I said to her, listen, book me a flight home. I said, I don't want to be here. Um, so she booked me a flight home. I went straight back to the airport, got on a plane and flew home. So I flew to Magaluf with the boys. I let them go on the night out whilst I rang my mum. And I just said to her, book me a flight home. So I got in a taxi, went straight back to the airport and flew home. So I flew to Spain for about an hour. Um, but that just shows where I was at at the time, that I was hurting. I probably wasn't willing to admit it. Um, but the lads were ringing me saying, Scotty, where have you gone? And I said, listen, lads, I just don't want to be out here because um, I wasn't I wasn't right, for sure. So, Scott, uh, you leave Oxford United and I believe that was your last uh, football league club. Is that right? It was. Yeah, I remember um, obviously getting released that day. I remember going home, um, flying to Spain, coming back. I remember standing on the top of my mum and dad's staircase about six, seven, eight weeks later. Um, I had a couple of phone calls from Cheltenham and Northampton and I thought, you know what, Um, I'm going to be sort of like interested in in going there. And then in the end, nothing sort of materialised, nothing happened. Um, And my agent turned around to me and said, is it true that you've got a problem with gambling? And I just said at the time, I said, no, I haven't got a problem. I said, I like a bet, but no more than that. And nothing ever happened. Couldn't get any deal across the line. Then I got a phone call from Dunstable Town Football Club. And I thought at the time, what on earth are they doing ringing me? Um, I was thinking they're trying their luck. This was where my head was at. And it's not it's not me being arrogant. This is just exactly how I felt. Um, and they said, come down tonight and play for us. We'll have a look at you, see if we want to sign you and we'll go from there. And I had to take the opportunity because I thought, you know, what? I've got nothing else. Um, no one else, even in the National League, had called me. Um, yeah, it was difficult. So I went and played for them for a few months in front of next to nobody. My life had completely changed. Didn't have a job Monday to Friday. So, yeah, I was just trying to sort of piece together where I was at. And it was really, really difficult. So, yeah, my career was over professionally. That was me done. What do you think would have been happened if you'd been offered a new deal at Oxford? Because obviously Gary Waddock, he lasted, what, only a few weeks more at the club than you did? Yeah, I, I, I just don't know. It was it was such a sort of like hell of a at time. Um, and I thought that I'd be safe when he came in. And I I honestly believe at the time I knew that I hadn't had a good season, but I thought he maybe could like inspire me, get the best out of me. Because um, I know that he he did get the best out of me. I played my best football under Gary. Um, and I loved him as a person and as a manager. And I was just gutted that I didn't get the chance to do that because I honestly thought at the time, this is what I needed. I'd need someone that shows that love, the trust, the belief in you. Um, and I remember seeing some of my mates get that opportunity. And I just thought, you know what? I was I was a bit jealous. I was a bit envious at the time that it wasn't me. So um, I don't know what would have happened if he'd have given me another year. But I'd like to think that it might have been a, a good thing. But I'll, listen, I'll never know. I wanted to pick up on something you said in your previous answer, actually, as well. Um, it's really interesting, actually, your agent asking you in 2014 whether you had a gambling problem. That suggests you hid it pretty well. Is that something that you find is quite common for for sort of professional sportsmen that you that you meet that have got a similar issue? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say it is the secret addiction. We always say that if you're an alcoholic or you're a drug user, you're not going to be able to hide it. If you walked into a football change room and you're an alcoholic, you'd stink of booze. If you're a drug addict, you might have bloodshot eyes, you might be scratching, itching, whatever you do, um, 100 miles an hour. Whereas with gambling, you can walk into any working environment, sit down at your desk or go and put your football boots on and go and play a game. And there's no substance to it. So you can't actually see it in someone. So that's why it's such a, a problematic addiction, I guess. 
Um, and it's on the rise more than any other addiction. So I think the admissions into the rehab centre where I went um, seven years ago, 10 years ago, I think it was 75% people went there for alcoholic, um, alcohol issues. Now 75% of people go there for gambling. So it just shows how the landscape has changed and obviously accessibility around it, how you can gamble. You've got an online bookmakers in your pocket 24-7. Um, you don't have to get into your car and drive to the bookmakers and go and fill in um, a piece of paper with a pen anymore and slip your bet across the table. You can do it from absolutely anywhere. So that's why it's becoming a real issue. Do you, do you feel that your sort of time at the club sort of was it amplified the, the addiction, would you say? Was, was it at its worst at Oxford United? Oh, I'd say that my love for the game was at its worst when I was at Oxford in sort of like my enthusiasm. The actual problems that I faced and the things that I was doing was worse when I was at Crawley. Um, Crawley was the time where um, things started to sort of just catapult themselves into into negative situations. Everything I was doing was just turning into a negative and I just thought, Do you know what, like, I need to get a grip of this. I need to sort out what I'm doing. Um, but there was, it was just so chaotic at the time when I was at Crawley. Um was just exhausted by the addiction, um, exhausted by staying awake all night, betting on Hungarian handball at four o'clock in the morning on table tennis in Thailand, whatever it might have been at the time. I just needed that rush. I needed that buzz. I needed to be stimulated. And I always say that talks that I do at football clubs is that my football career was getting in the way of my gambling career. That's the way that I saw it. And it's really sad to say that because football has been my one true love from the age of four, five, six years old. And then for me to get out of bed in the morning because gambling got me out of bed, that's what I got excited for, to go to the bookmakers, not to go and play professional football. Um, and like I say, I'm always honest and hand on heart. That is the exact truth. That is the the honest answer that I can give that gambling was getting me out of bed. That's what excited me the most. And when you get that imbalance, football's only going to end up going one way. Do you feel at any stage that there, there could have been some more help on offer between sort of Crawley and then coming to, to United. Uh, I mean, like obviously you, you have to accept that it it's your, that it's your, the, your problem, but did, do you feel as if there could have been anyone that a senior player or someone in the coaching staff, someone, a, a pastoral service away from the, the actual football side of things that, that, that could have been done then, or is it only now with experience you realise actually those, those things just weren't available? Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting one because the work that I do now in football clubs and going to tell my story, I never once got told a story by anyone that had a gambling issue uh, in football. We didn't have people come in and talk to us about gambling. I think on the other hand is that I wasn't ready to stop. I was still earning really good money at Crawley and I thought, you know what, I'm still going to be earning another £8,000 at the end of this month or whatever it was. Um, and in terms of help and stuff, people used to say to me all the time, any winner, Scotty, how are you getting on? Chris Wilder was one of the best for it. Um, I used to walk in every morning and say, any winners, Scotty? How are you getting on, mate? And it was, just became a laughing theme. It became a joke. Um, but that just shows the how well I hid it in terms of it being a problem and just being something to pass the time of day. Um, so no one ever really probably would come to me and say, oh, do you need help with it? Because I used to just laugh it off and brush it off and pretend that I had money in the bank account, pretend that I had savings and that I could afford to do it. But then obviously behind closed doors is that when you go home from training, and you're up till the early hours of the morning, or staying awake all night sometimes. That's the bit that people don't see. Um, I had all the help in the world if I wanted to get that help, being at home with my parents, um, being with my sister, my brother-in-law at the time, my best mate. They were all really supportive because they knew that I had an issue. But I declined their help. I didn't want their help at the time. 
So for someone to come to me in football and offer their help, would I have taken it? Probably not. Was I ever offered it? No. Um, so yeah, there's probably more that needs needed to be done back then, but that's why I'm doing the job that I'm doing now in order to try and help um, as many players as I can because hopefully over the last four or five years of doing this job, we've saved a few careers. I think it was 2015 you said that you last placed a bet. Um, you mentioned that obviously your loved ones were had been saying for a while that you know you need to get help. Was what was the moment the penny dropped then? Because obviously there must have been a lot of uh, a lot of sort of conflicting messages. Yeah, so I was in the bookmakers on the eighth of June, two thousand and fifteen. Um, I remember turning around, looking at the door, saw my mum's mum in floods of tears, crying her eyes out, and I'm running to the door as quickly as I could. And my mum just said to me, she said, you need to stop gambling. You're going to end up dead or you're going to break up mine and your dad's marriage. So I went home that night to my two-bed flat that I was living in. I'd finally moved out. And my dad called me that evening and he just said, listen, this needs to stop. And when he said this needs to stop, there was something that sort of triggered in my mind where I thought, well, the only way that this is going to stop is if I remove myself from this world. And I was just completely full of rage and anger um, at life, at the world, at my parents, at my life, everything because I'd lost my career as a professional footballer. I'd lost, at this point, probably a quarter of a million pounds, 60000 £70,000 of my parents' money as well. Um, parents hated me. Relationships were breaking down. And I was just full of anger, like I said, and I started to self-harm. And for people that know me, wasn't wasn't the thing that I ever did in my life. It was, wasn't the thing that anyone else would expect me to have done. But it just showed me where I was at, and I got scared. Um, I went around to my mum's house within the next... 10 15 minutes of doing it said to my mum I feel like I'm having a breakdown and she just said to me thank god you finally admitted it but it was eight or nine years too late um to obviously try and save my career to save my finance to save relationships and then within three and a half weeks I ended up in rehab 26 days packed my bags and moved down there came out of there on August 1st 2015 and my life has completely changed now um obviously I found myself in the job that I'm doing public speaking around it um, which I really enjoy. It's probably the best medicine that I've ever been given. Um, it keeps me on the straight and narrow. Relationships with parents is better than it's ever been. Um, now married to someone that's never seen me gamble before. Um, so, yeah, it's been a complete turnaround and, and one that I'm massively uh, grateful and thankful for. Obviously, your sort of non-league career had started after joining Oxford. Has that sort of... I guess brought the love back to football. I know it's a cliche because you played for a number of clubs, Oxford City being one of them, of course. And um, it seems like from what you say, you enjoy it a lot more than you did when you were playing professionally. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say last season was probably the best season that I've had in non-league um, since I've been out of the game in 2014 or whatever it was. Um, so I had my best season at sort of the age of 33, 34. Um, felt like I had my love for the game back. Um, felt fitter and stronger than I've ever been. I think during a time where covid hit a lot of teams in non-league quite hard i got myself really fit there was teams that were playing really quite low down the pecking order um and i went and signed for all of these teams and I just carried on playing matches throughout covid um went back to my season with slough town who i'm playing for now and felt really fit they gave me the captaincy which if anyone would have said oh scott you're gonna be captain of a football club they'd probably be like nah not you um because Back then, they knew me as Scott the Clown. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't the done thing that I was a, a leader or professional, looked after anyone but myself, cared about other people. But now I'm a completely different person. I try and help as many lads as I can out in the team, especially the young lads. I would love to say more than anyone that 
yeah, do you know what? I played with him at Slough Town when he was 20 years old and now he's playing in League One for Oxford United. Um, we've got a really good group down there and they allow us to enjoy football um, from all the coaching team, the management team, uh, the players got a fantastic group. The fans are brilliant as well. And I know it sounds so cliche, but they are one of the nicest bunch in non-league that you'll ever meet. Um, just Slough Town through and through and just that family feel, that environment. I feel like I'm involved in a club that's pretty special at that level and it's allowed me to find find the love for the game again, for sure. I'm going to ask you one question about a, a couple of players that may be that, that, that Oxford fans are familiar with um, next. But, I mean, do you find in amongst the players that you're playing with at Slough and obviously if there's a majority of them that have only ever known part-time football that have, you know, come through that way, that they look after their money in a bit of a different way compared to maybe how yourself would have done 10, 15 years ago where you'd only known the football route. These guys are, are, are earning it in a, in a different way and, and just naturally look after yeah. it in a better way. It's really weird. It's, I just thought of something I used to say when I was younger is that if I was ever on a night out of my mates and my mates were electricians, worked in recruitment, things like that, I would always beat them to the bar. Even if they've ordered, already ordered the drinks and not paid for them, I'd beat them to the bar and say, oh, do you know what? I'll get this. I don't have to work hard for my money. That's the thing that I always used to say because I remember used to seeing my mates that were electricians getting up at five o'clock in the morning, getting in at seven o'clock at night, grafting away for, I don't know, £100 a day, which which was fine for them at the time. Whereas I'm going to football at Crawley, for example, or at Reading, I'm getting paid £400 a day to train for an hour and a half. That was my mindset. It was like, you work hard for your money. You look after yours. I'll pay for this. And now I'm back in at Slough and I see that people have normal jobs as such. Yeah, they do look after their money more because they work, they graft for it. They've got different situations going on in their life where they might have wife, girlfriend and kids to cater for. Whereas football is just reckless. People are earning good money and they think, well, do you know what? I can splash the cash. Um, and it's like they've already spent some of their money before they've even earned it. If you get a win bonus playing for Oxford United now, I believe that it's, it's a nice little win bonus. I still speak to a couple of the lads and I know what it is. They'll be spending that in their head before they've even earned it. And that's the difference. I think there's a lot more people that may be a little bit more sensible out of the game uh, looking after their money. But it's, yeah, it's a very valid point for sure, which you make. And just finally, um, in the last year or so, obviously you've had Tyler Goodrum that came and played with you at Slough. probably the player that you're alluding to in a, in a previous answer. I'd, I'd say this seems like his breakthrough season at Oxford United. What can you tell us about him and, and what does the future hold? I just absolutely love him. I'll be honest with you. He is like my little brother. Um, I still speak to him now. Um, it's quite funny. I, I always say that when he walked into the room, I couldn't believe that someone that looks like him is an unbelievably talented footballer. And what I mean by that is that I said to him, I said, listen, I said, you're shaped like a can of Coke. That's the way I said to him. I said, but when he gets on the ball, he is so exciting. Um, he gives you that buzz. He gets you on the edge of your seat. And I know that he's worked really, really hard this summer. I think he's lost like five or six kilograms. Um, he's almost got that like puppy fat because he's still young. Um, but he's really trimmed down now. He's in great, great nick. Um, I actually went to Derby at the beginning of the season. I spoke to his dad because we've become good friends as well. And I just said, like, he's on the bench at Derby away. I don't want to miss it. I said, if he comes on and makes his debut, I want to be there. So lastminute.com, I rang a friend at Derby and I said, can you leave me a couple of tickets? Managed to get some tickets. We obviously flew up the motorway, got up there and I was desperate for him to come on. And I thought he could make an impact in a game like this, where it was quite tight at the time. There was only one goal in it. 
I'm thinking to Carl Robinson, thinking just chuck him on because I know he's got this X factor about him. Obviously, was gutted that he didn't make his debut. And then the following week, lo and behold, he goes and scores the winner. Um, jinx, jinx throughout a couple of players, scores the uh, scores the goal. And I remember that day we actually lost against Haven and Waterloo. We lost three one, and I was gutted. I remember looking at the result after the game, and I saw that he'd scored. And I tell you what, it just completely changed my attitude, my mindset. So I was delighted for him. But yeah, he comes from a really, really good family. Um, he's got so much ability. He's very, very settled in terms of the way that he lives his life compared to what I was doing at 18, 19. His girlfriend, Georgia, for example, they're like two peas in a pod. I think he's got a really good girl beside beside him. Good family. He's got all the um, credentials to go and do really well, and I'm sure he will. Um, but yeah, I was going to say definitely an exciting one for the future. Actually, another Oxford United youngster or now ex-Oxford United youngster was also now Leon Chambers Parallon as well. He he was one that broke onto the scene the previous season and looked looked the part in League One. What did you make of him? I gather he had an injury issue or two. Yeah, so he actually came on loan to Biggleswade when I was at Biggleswade. So we brought him on loan there. We spoke to sort of like Leon Blackmore such and Dan Harris and they said, listen, we've got a couple of lads. So we had Fabio Lopez and Leon. Um, they came over. And we were told at the time, like, listen, Fabio Lopez is probably um, probably the one that you'd be more excited about. Um, but Leon was absolutely brilliant. I played centre mid with him, got him to do my running, which was quite nice. Had him in front of me and I was sort of had him on the reins and I was sort of saying, like, listen, do this, do that. And I'm trying to help, I'm trying to guide. Then he went back to Oxford United and they were saying, listen, he's turned into a completely different player to what he was before he left. And I think he signed a new deal and everything. He made his, made his debut. Um, and they were really grateful and thankful for us at Biggleswade to sort of giving him that that confidence because he did lack a little bit of confidence. He's quite shy, quite reserved. Um, then I brought him into Slough. I said to the Slough managers, I say I brought him. I didn't bring him, but I said, listen, get him in. He's worth a look. Um, had a bit of an injury in his first game and, and, we, and we didn't re-sign him. Um, but he's got a lot of ability as well, um, very much so. And I was quite shocked that maybe Oxford United didn't give him a little bit longer because he's a man-mountain, really good athlete, can deal with the football, um, can do both sides of the game. So, yeah, it's quite surprising, really. Would you back him to get back into the Football League? Do you know what? The saddest thing to say is that I think I'd have to say no. Do you know why I say no? Is The most difficult thing is once you drop out is to get back in. I think when you're there, you can stay there, you can maintain it. Um, and I think Oxford United, I think he could have had a career there. I genuinely believe it. Um, I don't even know if he's playing football now. That's the saddest part. I haven't reached out to him for a while, but I'll do that after this call today because it's probably um, my job to do things like that to make sure that he is okay. Um, if he gets a run of 50, 60 games together at a football club in the Conference South or the Southern Prem, he's got an absolute hell of a chance because there's certainly a footballer in there and he's still 21 years old, maybe in max. I'm not too sure. But yeah, very good, very, very, very good footballer. Well, Scott, it's been... Great to get an insight into your thoughts on the game, uh, your time during your career on and off the pitch and, and great insight into you as a player and a person as well. So really appreciate that. And thanks for thanks again for coming on. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Behind the Badge. Stay across our social media platforms for our next podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at behind the underscore badge. Or if you want to email us, it's behindthebadge1893 at gmail.com.